Hello and welcome to Law Pod. I am Lee Hedgepantelis, the principal of Bryden's Lawyers. This week we have with us an extraordinarily special guest, and I say that with all due reference to his career as a footballer, his career post-football, his contribution in and out of the game, the reverence in which he is held by all who know him, and someone that I regard as a very, very good friend of mine, Wayne Jr. Pierce. Wayne, welcome to Bryden's Lawyers. Thanks, Lee. It's great to be here. Looking forward to having a chat. I can tell you, I've done this quite a bit now, and I've never really been nervous before, but I am a little bit nervous today. Oh, I think you're making that one up, mate. You don't get nervous. I, yeah, I know you. <laughs> okay, all right. We'll take that one on board. <laughs> well, Wayne, inducted into the NRL Hall of Fame 2008, 277 first-class games, international origin representative, player, captain, coach, commentator, ARL commissioner. You've done a lot. Well, there's more to do. Is there? Otherwise, I'm not ready to keel up just at the moment. Yeah, no, it's been a, I've been fortunate in... The way I've experienced my life, and it's been it's been great. I've I've ticked plenty of boxes. I've had plenty of setbacks, but I mean everyone looks at the at the wins, but there's been plenty of losses and, and plenty of setbacks along the way. But they that's all part of building character. Yeah, and one of the constants I think throughout your entire career has been family. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I mean it's important to me that that you've got that support base and, and family for me is, is where the support base is, is first and foremost and you've got, to, you've got to always keep them in mind. But obviously a very close-knit group. I mean, I follow Mitch on social media and the like and he posts quite regularly and it's, of course it's you and Terry and the, and the girls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've got th- three three children. I've got Mitchell and, and I've got Tatum and Hannah and my wife Terry and, and some really good friends and, 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 and a great a great community around rugby league. You know, rugby league's been cornerstone of my life and I owe so much... To, to the code and still actively involved on a continuing basis as you are with the Tigers. Yeah. Well, we sit here today is the 18th of November. We're recording this, the day of Origin 3. Who would have thought seven or eight months ago that we would be here at the end of what has been an incredible season? Yeah, well, if you if you if we go back to the start of the season, we started the season as usual. COVID was spreading in the community, but we we started round one, normal competition. And then, then what happened was the round two of the competition was went ahead but with no crowds and then the day after the competition round two competition finished we met on the monday as a commission and hooked up with our professor who was our advisor that we had at the time and and she said it was unsafe to continue the competition so we had to put the competition on hold and you know, that was a, a period where you know the, the, the game had never ever experienced before and, and a time where you know we, we had to really dig deep in terms of our crisis management fortunately we got back on on the field and we're here now and the last game of the season, Project Apollo. The capsule is just about to land at Suncorp Stadium tonight and then the mission's over. Well, congratulations to you and the entire ARL commission because they've done a wonderful job. As I say, in March, by which time they had already suspended the Olympics, postponed the Olympics for a year. And I thought to myself, well, if they've postponed the Olympics, what chance has the NRL got? Well, you've done a remarkable job. You did better than the Olympic Committee did. Yeah, well, we did. But we, 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 we set about it in, in a way that Peter Volandis asked me to head the project, to choose a team and, and to, to lead the project, which I did. It was it was all about teamwork. It was It was very much about making... The commitment to all the clubs, all the players and all the stakeholders that we would do our absolute best to get back as soon as possible because the, the, the game was absolutely bleeding. We had some big hiccups along the way with broadcasters, we had hiccups with the government, we had threatened player strike, our referee strike, we had a whole lot of hiccups but we managed to get over those hiccups and, and get back on the field at the, the, the date on May 28 which most people thought was was unrealistic because it was so soon but we, we, we got back on the field in a safe manner and 
we've, we've managed to uh, negotiate the hiccups through the course of the season and, and, and get to the completion of the season in a manner that's that's been very successful. Peter Vlanders has said publicly that he anticipates that 2021 will be back to normal. No bubble, full crowds, etc. Is that a view that you hold as well? Yeah, well, what we're planning on is that is that the players will go back, resume, well, those players who didn't make the finals will resume training probably next week or the week after, depends on when they finish their competition. It looks like there will be no bubbles in the form that, that the players experienced during the season, but we'll, we'll more than likely be adhering to, uh, we'll have to adhere to government guidelines, whatever those guidelines are for the public, and then we'll just revisit the situation after Christmas. As South Australia has shown, you know, you really just don't know what what's going to happen with this virus. But the positive thing is that with the vaccine pretty much fait complete now for, for next year, that's going to really make a huge difference to the likelihood that players won't have to go back into the same pretty drastic measures that they were required to adhere to through this season. Yeah, absolutely. Look, look, there are still some challenges ahead, there's no doubt. Someone made a comment on American TV this morning, which I thought was interesting, that vaccine doesn't necessarily mean vaccination. Even if there is a vaccine available, people have still got to agree to go get vaccinated, and I think that may be a challenge for them moving forwards. But but having said that, I mean, you you look at the the, the at-risk people, they're the ones that really are going to benefit most. For some people, healthy people, the symptoms are are, are not hugely severe, but Mm. you've got to cater for for worst-case scenario, and they're the people that get very sick or, or, or pass away. Okay. One of the things I wanted to raise with you was last year's anniversary of the 89 Grand Final. Now, all the boys got together down there at Balmain, the 89 Grand Final team. And yourself. Uh, well, let me tell you, it was one of the highlights of my life being invited in. In fact, when I turned up and realised that I was the only civilian there, <laughs> I was a bit overwhelmed by that until Benny Elias grabbed me in a headlock and said, no, no, mate, he says you're one of ours. And in fact, well, I... Well, mate, I, in, I, in all honesty, that's the respect that the, the club holds for you. You know, you, you've come in originally as a sponsor and, and then stepped into the role of chair and you absolutely live and breathe Brighton's, of course, first and foremost, but secondly, the Tigers. Well, the first and foremost West Tigers, part, I should say. There's many in this organisation who do not agree with the first and foremost. People think I've left Brighton's lawyers <laughs> behind. But no, no, I was overwhelmed by the opportunity of being there. But what really struck me that day was that how everyone stood up, you first, and addressed the playing group and kind of like shed some demons from 89. Was that the first time that you had got together as a group and done that? Yeah, it was. We, we, we got together once in just before the Tigers won the grand final in 2005 we we got together most of us had never watched the game back because we you know, we had some scars from it I certainly hadn't and quite a lot of us hadn't so News Limited decided they get us all together in a room and, and show the game and what were our opinions of watching the game a second time we, we but we didn't actually sort of disclose anything like we did at that particular last year when we got together last year the, the reunion last year but it was it was a a game that yeah we we sort of in hindsight you know we had our opportunities to win we didn't win it and uh, so be it and it, it certainly did take a long a long time to get over and but but certainly that's that's part of mm. history now and uh, it was a great grand final and we we, we were beaten and it's the way it is but it was just an incredible opportunity to be there on that day to hear Warren Ryan address the group as well and raise issues that would never be would never enter the public domain. It was just, as I say, for me, it was a very humbling experience and one that I am very, very grateful for. And of course, I've got to now, for the rest of my life, recall Blocker and Ciro singing April Sun in Cuba. And that's something I can't get out of my head either. That was ter- in fact, I think I may have a recording of it. So if the two boys don't behave, I'll release it on TikTok. All right, back to you where it all began junior the nickname yeah so when i i didn't really have a nickname as a kid it was piercy and then when i came into into to, to first grade everyone seemed to have a nickname piercy wasn't good enough so one of the guys that saw me stretching in front of a mirror because i was doing lots of weight training and trying to get 
big and strong to, for first grade. And one of the guys saw me stretching in a mirror. He, he, he nicknamed me Flexi. Flexi stuck for a few months, and then there was a, a, a guy came from another from outside the the club, a, a new conditioner that we got a guy called a name by the name of Steve Craig, and and his nickname was already Flexi because he was a always flexing up in, you know, and, and quite muscular. So he was older than me, a lot older than me. So he was Flexi Senior and I was Flexi Junior, which was too much of a mouthful. So he became Senior and I became Junior and that just stuck. And then, of course, Mitchell is known as Junior as well. Yeah, he's, now, he's Junior, that's by, right. By choice or did he inherit that? Is he happy with that or did he want his own nickname? How did that come about? No, well, it's, there's players just... Well, it, it actually, as far as I'm aware, it started off as Juju, Junior, okay. Junior. Okay. Junior, Junior. And, and it's just... That's, that's a bit long, so it just morphed to junior again. So he's junior. Okay, fair yeah. enough. All right, well, everyone knows you, of course, as a great rugby league player. But why rugby league? How, how did it all start? I mean, what, I mean, were there any other sports that may have caught your eye? Because, I mean, my impression of you was that you were an athlete and that you could have chosen to have gone into any other field if you had so elected. But, but why rugby league? Was there rugby league in the family? Is it something that, the, that you had been drawn to from an early age? Yeah, so I grew up in Balmain in, in the 60s, and uh, that sort of area was consumed by rugby league back in those days it was heartland rugby league and we sort of followed the tigers balmain tigers and then what happened was in 1969 the tigers won the grand final and myself and my two younger brothers we all signed up for the balmain police Sports club the next year because we were all inspired to play because we were you know the tigers won the comp i was 10 years of age and my two younger brothers were, were younger anyhow we sort of started playing rugby league and that was that was it so that was the start of it and it went from there. Any other sports, Wayne? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I actually was a reasonable middle distance runner. I was a pretty good 800 metre runner. Played cricket. I played rep, a bit of rep cricket, actually. I played Durham Shield when I was 17 for, for Balmain. Cricket was was actually was not for me. It was a bit rough because what happened? I got hit by a bounce. I wasn't a very good batsman. I was a bowler, middle pace, fast, so, medium bowler. Sorry, you're telling me that cricket was a little bit rough, but well, you were yeah, okay so with rugby league. I was playing in this Durham Shield game and, and coming in as a number, number nine batsman. Got hit by a bouncer. Smash on the nose. Smashed my nose across my face, stepped on my wicket, which is the worst part I got out. Had to go to hospital and get my nose fixed up. Never had that had never happened in rugby league up to that point. So Fair enough. I thought cricket's not for me. It's too tough. I'll go. I'll just stick with rugby league. Okay then. One of the personal attributes that I think people think of when they reference Wayne Pearce is leadership and leadership qualities. And I know that Blocker, even to this day, refers to you as his captain. And I think that's on and off the field. And he looks to you for advice and guidance. But you were appointed as captain for the Balmain Tigers relatively early in your career. How did that come about? So what happened was I went on the, the actual Kangaroos tour in 82. And when I come back from the tour in 82, Frank Stanton had a word to me. He, he was also the, the Australian Rugby League coach of the, the Kangaroo tour. When I came back, he sort of pulled me aside and said, you know, I, I want you to lead the team. And I was 22 years of age and I thought there's a pretty big step, but he showed a whole lot of faith in me and that's how it happened. And I sort of led the, the club from that point on. Well, he obviously identified leadership qualities in you because leadership qualities is something that's the subject of a lot of discussion at the West Tigers today when we talk about our roster and you talk about leaders within the group. And of course, leadership is not solely the attribute of the more senior players. You have younger players who come through and that show leadership qualities. But what does leadership mean to you? Is it is it leading by example? Is it the words that you can speak to the players? Is, is it a combination of that? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a really interesting question. When I think back over my life, the catalyst for me stepping up and, and taking responsibility for my own behaviour and really moving into a space of, of self-leadership first because that's where it starts and then leading others as a flow-on from that was when my father died when I, when I was 14 years of age. I was the eldest of three boys. My father died and all of a sudden I was thrust into the role where I was the, the oldest male in the household. So I felt this 
duty and, and sense of responsibility that I, I didn't sort of feel before. And from that point on, I, I was captaining footy teams at junior level. I was school captain at the high school I was at. And just I just sort of seemed to go in from leadership role to leadership role. But it was very much about me, yes, setting the example, but also about making sure that, that I was not just modelling behaviours, but, but I was actually in a space where I was actually helping others to be, be their best or help them do what was required as well. Okay. Your father passing when you were only 14, that imposes upon your responsibilities, as you say, as the eldest male then left in the house. Do you think, looking back now, that that had a significant influence on your ability to lead? I mean, if it was, you know, it's sink or swim, isn't it? You're thrown into the deep end. It's not by choice. You're put into that difficult position, losing a parent. But as the oldest male in the house, you have that sort of responsibility imposed upon you. Does that then lead into the way that you then conduct yourself as a leader throughout your football career, throughout your family, throughout your business? Yeah, it, it does. I, I have no doubt that that was the catalyst for me to move to another level in terms of the way that I conducted myself. And and I think all of us, you know, all of us have setbacks. All of us have points in our life where we come to a junction in the road. Which way are we going to go? You know, I could have gone off the rails, uh, and I did go off the rails for a little bit, but I managed to get myself back on track. I had a really good mentor who was a friend of my dad's, who also took me under his wing, gave me some confidence and helped me set goals and and so it went from there but you know I believe everybody has a, has a, a capacity to lead I think the most important leadership role on the planet is being a parent and and so many of us don't realize the magnitude of the role of being a parent and that you know, we, we assume leadership with with your role in running this business or with captaining a footy team or whatever but we don't realize that you know as head of a family, as a parent, you're you're actually you're a leader as well. Now I agree with that, Wayne. I, I've said to many, many people that my life changed on the 9th of August, 1994, when my eldest was born in a way that you could never imagine. And the yeah. responsibility of bringing another human being into this world, and the responsibility that comes with that, the obligations and the like. And I tell young ones, we have a number of staff at the moment who are expecting children, their first child, and I say to them that you don't know what's go- what's coming, and how your life will change. And not only, of course, the obvious bond and the affection of a child, but just that responsibility that you feel that you need to lead that child through. You know, at the end of the day, are our children a reflection of who we are i suppose so we do our best absolutely Lee. i mean it's you know in those formative years the the messages that we are sending verbally or just subconsciously sending to to our children really does create the fabric from which they they can either become really productive and successful or they can really be struggling as a consequence of the lessons that we share with them as parents with you you and terry now was there a conscious decision as to how you would parent your children like I mean, did you have certain responsibilities did Terry have others I mean did you entrust that Terry because I mean your footballing career I'm assuming that covered the period when you became a father as well Terry had more responsibility when the kids were younger how, how did that work in the early days yeah I mean we shared responsibilities but by, but I was out trying to get some money to put food on the table and Terry was the one who was dealing with with the day-to-day chores of, of managing the kids pretty much and you know, I, I spent whatever time I could with them in those in those early years, formative years. But I was, and we were both really conscious of the messaging that that we wanted to get through to them. And it was really based around the fact that you know you you, you can achieve anything you want to achieve, and we're there to support you. Mm, absolutely. All right. In terms of your playing career, Wayne, it's well known the success that you enjoyed, the kangaroo tours and the like. But I, I remember back there was a couple of incidents there where there were some very famous injuries that you suffered. There was the detached retina. Yeah. Uh, how did that come about? I mean, and, and that cost you significantly, didn't it? Yeah. So, actually, 
I think this is the thing with 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 anyone that's achieved anything in life. You, you look at you. You know the same sort of example. You could talk back over a whole lot of setbacks, and and I mean the first big one I had, as I said, was when my father died. But then after that, I actually got hepatitis B, which nowadays you can get vaccinated against. But at the age of 18, I, I got that from a bucket and sponge. Back in those days, the bucket and sponge, people used to suck on the sponge and stick it in a table, and then people would swap it down. Got a cut out of my eye. They sponged, after people had been spitting in this bucket, they sponged it down. About six weeks later, I, I just had no energy and went to the doctors, had blood tests, and I had contracted hepatitis B. Pretty much out of action for six months. I lost a lot of weight. When I recovered from that, pretty much the next season was, was sort of wiped out to a point. I came back at the back end of that season, ended up making it into the, the Tigers off-season squad. Started the season in 1980 in, in first grade and sort of went from there. So that was my first year. But then the very first trial game of the next season, I had a big year that year. I got picked in the city side that very first year. And the next year, pre-season, trial game against Cronulla, went to put a big tackle on and Gavin Miller went to palm me off and his thumb went in my eye and squashed it. And, and I just, pain was incredible. Couldn't see out of the eye. They rushed me to the Sydney Eye Hospital. Subsequently had an um, operation to repair a detached retina and I missed pretty much most of that season. To this day, I'm still blurred in that left eye so I can't really see out of that. So it was always difficult for me to try and catch footballs coming from my left-hand side or high balls because you need both eyes to judge depths and really difficult for me to try and do that. Anyhow, I, I managed to, ne next year I had a pretty good season again and got picked to, to play for Australia and went, went on the kangaroo tour and and uh, went from there. Did any of your opposition work out the, the defect in the vision and tr try and come down your left side all the time or kick uh, to your left or anything? Nah, no, no, I, no one worked that out? I didn't didn't tell anybody that. I didn't even tell my teammates that because I didn't want to get around because it was definitely uh, something that they could have exploited. And, you know, I, I got criticised for dropping quite a few balls from passes or high balls from this side and, and it was purely and simply the fact that I only had one eye and luckily that eye carried me through my career. All right, and there was a knee injury that cost you the kangaroo tour? Yeah, 1986. I, I do recall this. Yeah, so what happened was in the test series against New Zealand in the middle of the year, 1985, I... In the last test, I actually got tackled and my knee twisted and anyhow, I damaged my knee and went to the hospital and they sort of identified it was a, a torn anterior cruciate, so they had to have a knee reconstruction. And a guy called Merv Cross was the guy who operated on the, on the knee. And anyhow, he did the operation and he said, because normally you're out for, for 12 months with a, with a knee reconstruction of the cruciate. But he told me that the way that my cruciate was torn, it wasn't ripped off, the, it, was, it wasn't torn in the middle, it was ripped off the bone. And he said, it's, like a, it's actually better. It's like a fracture. He said, it can, you can heal. He said, and like, this is a very small percentage of people do it that way. He said, but that's really good for you. He said, because when's the kangaroo tour leave? And I said, oh, it leaves in 12 weeks. He said, oh, well, if you do all the rehab, do twice a day rehab on it, he said, I think you can be right. So 10 weeks later, I was cleared by him. He was the number one knee surgeon in the country to, uh, to play. And I started training with the train-on squad, training with the train-on squad for two, two weeks, because in those days, as the teams got out, were knocked out of the finals, they had squads that they would train together. And I was leading all the runs and stuff like that. And then I was uh, subject to a, a fitness test that had never been done before. They never had put, put a player through a fitness test before the team was selected. This is the first time ever they did that. And so they had a fitness test for me and I was pretty confident because I was winning all the runs and all that sort of stuff. And then he, and he had to cut a long story short. The doctor, the, the Australian Rugby League doctor, ruled me out. 
because Les Davidson and Martin Bell are there. They were tackling me. I was wrestling them. And then right after all this stuff, he's made me do sprints, 100-meter sprints on Redfern Oval, which was really rough. And I'd done a couple, no problems. And then I did this, did another one. And what happened was it was really rough surface. The knee that wasn't operated on the other one hit a divot and I just slightly just stumbled a little bit, kept running, and he called me over. He was just looking for something to keep me out. Mm. Anyhow, the they, they ruled me out of the kangaroo tour. It's still a very sore point to this day because there's, there's there was definitely an agenda. Yeah, That was the sort of the story behind that. It was very disappointing though because I'd, I'd played in 82. I got voted the player of the tour in 82 and I was really excited about going again in 86, but it didn't happen. Well, thank you for listening to part one of our chat with Wayne Pearce and uh, make sure you stay tuned for episode two.